listening to the Rent Roll Radio Show with Sterling Chapman. Hey, Rent Roll Radio listeners, welcome back to the show. As always, I'm your host, Sterling Chapman, and today we are joined by Shelly Osborne. She is the founder, owner, and CEO of Five Pillar Realty Group. Shelby, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. I'm stoked to be here. So, Shelby, tell us a little bit about you. What's your story? How did you get into real estate investing? Sure. Okay. So, I was originally in the Army, and I, after, I spent six years in the military. And when I first got in the military, I had no interest in real estate investing. I PCS to my first duty station. PCS means moved permanently change station. You're going to have to translate <laughs> Acronyms, the, the yeah. military speak for us civilian <laughs> folk. So I got to my first duty station, which was in Fort Lewis, Washington state. And my dad actually convinced me to use my VA loan to buy a primary residence. Cause he's like, why would you pay someone else's mortgage, especially with a 0% down thing? And I was like, wow, dad, that's really smart. Mm-hmm. So no interest in real estate stumbled my way through a inadvertent purchase that fast forward a couple years later, PCS permanently changed stations again, obviously not really permanent uh, <laughs> to Fort Bragg, North Carolina. And I decided I didn't really want to sell that first house of mine. And I decided to throw a tenant in there and without running numbers, without any analysis in an investor mindset, I started cash flowing on this property and it wasn't a lot. It was just a little bit, but I also noticed that it had appreciated in value significantly. So I bought it just for some reference. I bought it in 2013 at 158 and it's according to Zillow, which I did check with an agent, but it's <laughs> worth about 275 now which is insane. (laughs) So pretty cool. But okay, at this time, I had just got to Fort Bragg, North Carolina, still in the army, and was starting to pay attention to that property in Washington, like, hey, that's cool. And a lot of things started happening at once. I became increasingly frustrated with my military job. There are a lot of inefficiencies in the military that not everyone knows about, a lot of frustrations, pulling people around. And I looked forward to the next 10, 15 years of my life and saw what it could be. And I didn't want that path. So I uh, was interested in real estate now because of that cash flowing property, stumbled into bigger pockets, read some Robert Kiyosaki. And before you knew it, I was like, hey, all I have to do is acquire more of these (laughs) houses and they'll pay me. And then I don't have to keep trading my time for money. So decided to get out of the military, got my real estate license as a means to fuel my active income to feed my passive. And before you know it, here I am. I own Bipolar Realty Group, which is a firm in two locations and have 74 rental properties. And I got out of the military Seven, in January. 74? Yes. I, think I feel I like you skipped a few steps. <laughs> well. Your, your story sounds, it reminds me of Eric Upchurch. He's like, yeah, I was in the military. Didn't know what I was doing. Got a house for free. And then uh, I've got 150 units. So cool. <laughs> like, back it up. <laughs> yeah. Well, it. I guess. Okay. So I got my real estate license in November of 2017. And that was also when I closed on my first intentional real estate investment purchase. So that was a duplex. I still had from 2013, that first accidental primary residence that I acquired. So I had a duplex and then my first year was 2018. And by the end of that year, I had 16 doors and I guess we don't care about the agent and stuff. We can just talk the investing stuff. (laughs) So, no, I mean, I'd love to hear about the agent. And I have some questions about that because I think everybody kind of like goes back and forth. Yeah. Their investor like, well, would this be better? if, Like I just sold, 
I've never sold a house before. It's so funny because all of my like relatives and kind of friends I hadn't talked to in a while, they see me like posting houses that I'm burning and they're like, you still selling houses? Like, well, no, I've, I've actually never sold a house. Never. And, yeah. and I, I just <laughs> sold, I just moved and I sold the house that I was living in before because it was just, it was too big to like cash flow. And yeah. it just it was just taking up a lot of room on my debt to income ratio. So I just sold it. And my agent made as much as I lost on that thing. Like he sold me the house. Yeah. He got like probably seven grand, like the two and a half percent of the 300 grand two years ago. And then he made it again when I sold it like just recently. And I spent $15,000 updating it and sold it for what I bought it for. We always run these <laughs> house flippers. I don't want to be a house flipper because I suck at, at selling houses apparently. <laughs> Well, I mean, I, I love flipping, but no, you're totally right. It can be crushing when you look at like the closing disclosure and you see how much the agent made and you're just like, bro, like, what did you even do? <laughs> so and we'll get into, we do a lot, stuff. by the way. Oh, I know. I know. <laughs> I'm, well, I'm, not all of us. Agents are not created equal. Yeah, there. no, definitely. But. Definitely. A hundred percent. So how did you get the rest of this? You said the first year, 2018, you had 16 properties. 16 doors. 16 doors. Different. Tell me about how you got those, like maybe break the numbers down. How do you finance them? Because you're, you're like, you're fresh yep. out the army now. And so you don't have like this long-term no. income that typically banks like to see like stable W2 for a couple of years. So like walk us through that. Sure. Okay. So uh, you guys know how I got my first one with that 0% down and then I'm on the VA loan. My next one was, this is before I even knew what a burr was probably. I don't really remember, but it was a conventional purchase. It was a duplex for $75,000. Great deal. It <laughs> rents for seven twenty-five each side. And I put 25% down on it, like very conventional. And then I realized after closing that deal that 25% down, even on $75,000, isn't gonna, like I'm gonna run out of money fast. Sure. <laughs> Like, I got to figure out how to do this. Um, so my next one, I actually used primary residence again. I used my VA loan again to get a quad. So I got four more doors on that. And after that, exactly what you're saying, I didn't have a W-2 anymore. I was out of the army. Banks were like, you're a new real estate agent. How are you going to pay us back? Like, we're not lending <laughs> to you. You know, you need two years of tax returns to show sure. that you can uh, commission-based income. And so then I was like, well, I have to keep investing somehow. So I went pretty intensely into private money. I was aggressive in farming my sphere of influence and their spheres of influence. So like everyone who I had grown up with, parents, friends, family. So I have a, <laughs> I have a question about that because I, I mean, I, I've done that and we've, we've all done that. But my experience with private money is it's typically like a shorter term type of loan. Whatever you make it. I, I guess that I just hadn't talked to anybody that really wants to like fund a mortgage for me. Like, you know what I mean? I give people oh. their money back in like a year. So yeah, they're bird deals. You're totally right. It's not like a long-term 30-year fixed loan that I'm getting. It's like, actually I did a lot of them with delayed financing so I could turn over the cash quicker. But yeah, no, exactly that. It's like, I, it's a bird. You guys are familiar with her. I know you are. Yes, yes, yes. But yeah, so I just would buy a distressed property or something under value and then use the private money to rehab it and then get a fixed with an LLC, which rates are not as good, but <laughs> at least I could get a loan. What kind of loan so, would you get? Like a yeah, small so was, commercial, com, like from a local exactly. bank? And they yeah. would do that on the property without your income. 
Yes, without my income. Have you heard of delayed financing before? I have. I don't understand it. Could you walk us through it? Yeah. So not everyone does it. And I've actually talked about delayed financing a lot on podcasts before. And then it disappoints a lot of people because they'll be like, hey, I want to do that in my area. And even in my area, I've only ever found one lender who will do it. And it's Uh just in North Carolina. Shout out to Patrick Stoy and his team at Mm -hmm. NC Mortgage. Uh, (laughs) But basically, it's where you purchase the property 100% cash. You need it to be in cash. Um, So you need to have that money in your bank account for two months prior to show that it was Mm -hmm. in your bank account. And then you put both the purchase and the rehab amount on the closing disclosure. And then there is no seasoning period. As soon as the property is renovated, then you can start the, it's not even a refinance, the finance process. And you can pull out 75% of that appraised value on the back end. Like you don't need seasoning. You don't need a lease in place. It's pretty cool. And I can send you the contact information of the lender in North Carolina who does it. So if you ever want to buy in North Carolina, we do have a contact who will do this for you. I would love to buy in North Carolina if you could find me a good bar opportunity that you're not gobbling up yourself. Yeah. That's the thing. People do say that a lot. They're like, you're just going to take every deal. I'm like, I can't take every deal. But (laughs) there's, and there's actually, I mean, the way that we've set it up, we have a lot of off-market. Like if you go to the MLS, you're not going to find the deals you need. But we have sure. wholesalers and we have courthouse foreclosures are really big mm-hmm. um, that we've capitalized on. Yeah. But anyway, found, I'll make a note. You found good stuff at the courthouse? Dude, the courthouse is pretty much the only place I buy anymore. And that's where I'll do my burrs and my flips. It's nice. the best because, and I don't know how it is in your area, but ours is completely archaic. It's incredibly time-consuming and frustrating. and. Sure. It's perfect because no one wants to. <laughs> Nobody do it. wants to mess with it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and it's not online, so you either put in the work, and but we've systemized it, and we have interns who actually do the legwork, so that way, free interns. Sure. Anyway, sure. am I going off track? <laughs> Sorry. I forgot what the track was. Maybe I should get back Me to neither. my uh, organized <laughs> question. <laughs> Rabbit holes, love it. We've got you to sixteen units now. Yeah, and that's through. For strategy, private money, and they're multi. So I did duplex, quad, a single family, another duplex, and a six-unit apartment complex, small one, with awesome. that first year. Awesome, awesome. And where where do we go from there? What happened next? Okay, so I got into partnerships next, really. So I did I did another single family burr deal, actually two more. And then the next, it's a big chunk. Let's see how many I have a tracker pulled up. The next 21 doors, it was a portfolio with like an old seller who just wanted to off their portfolio. And actually one of my partners, Michael Glasby, who's amazing. You should actually get him on this podcast. Uh, He found the deal. (laughs) Yeah, no, I'll I'll make a note of that. So uh, yeah, he found this 21 unit portfolio. It's really, it was some duplexes, two quads, and then a five unit and came to myself and one other partner and was like, yo, like they're in good condition. Can we just get 25%? And do you want to just do this turnkey package? And we're like, sure. So (laughs) we've been done. And so then the three of us actually got on it for a couple more things. We bought a duplex that we turned into an Airbnb and then we Airbnb arbitraged for studio apartments downtown, but those aren't counted in the 74 doors because we don't own them. Yeah, Airbnb was the next. And so the next couple doors are all Airbnbs. And then. So tell me oh, how that is going for you. Amazing. Screw long term like 
rentals. Yeah. So I am looking to buy two Airbnbs this year. I have a lot of, not as many as you, but I have a lot of long-term rentals and I find the margins are, are thin. And when you calculate, I've got a lot of like delayed maintenance that I'm dealing with. Right. Yeah. And it just eats it all up. I want something that's that's really like kicking on the high cash flow. Oh. <laughs> it's, yes. It's jet engineering. And from a few different people I've talked to, it sounds like amazing. Joe Perlman actually put me on that. I think I love him. Yeah. He was one of my clients back when I worked with clients. He's amazing. <laughs> yeah, Joe's a sweetheart. I met Joe and Alex at the Joe Fairless Best Ever Conference at the beginning of the yeah. year. So. Alex is one of my best friends, even though he's intolerable. Just kidding. I love you, Alex. <laughs> I see y'all's antics all over Facebook. It's like watching like a, a soap opera, like a television show. <laughs> <laughs> yep. What's he going to say next? Not even me. That's all him. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, so Airbnbs, I love them for so many reasons. What would you like me to tell you? Do you manage them yourself? I don't manage anything myself. I leverage everything. Okay. (laughs) So do you like you hire, like, is it one of your partners that manages it or do you hire a third party property management company? We have a third-party property manager. We're actually in the process of switching our management all to a single company. It's Plushy. It's called Plushy Host. It's nationwide. That's the reason why we want to switch to them too is they've been good to us. We tested them on a few properties. And now that Mike Glassby, the one I mentioned earlier, and I are both in Charlotte, one of our other partners in Fayetteville, we just wanted one management company to rule them all instead of having two different you know, location-specific management companies. When you say they're taking over all of them, they're taking over all your Airbnbs or your long and short-term? All of our Airbnbs. So we have a long-term manager and then also just one to do all of our short-term. What percentage do they take? So from what I was reading and from talking to other people, it sounded like they they take like a lot higher percentage on the short-term than they do on the long-terms. They do and they earn it, I think. (laughs) So Plushy, we are on their... So they have three different tiers. Their first tier is 10%, which is low. Then they have 15 and then they have 20. And 20% tier is the one where it's like completely hands-off, which is what I always choose. A lot of property management companies short-term will do like 25%. I think that that's pretty normal. So I was pretty happy with 20%. And then we're going to negotiate once we transfer our whole portfolio over. But it's, it's a lot of work. So they have to talk to people every day, tenants, questions, cleaning crews, the lawn care scheduling, mm-hmm. restocking coffee. Like I don't want any part of any of that. They can have their 20%. Sure, <laughs> sure. No, I feel the same way. I like, I, I was telling you earlier uh, before we started recording, I managed all of my own properties, like while I was doing my day job and everything else. And like, I couldn't let go. I looked at like how much I was going to be paying the property manager. And I yeah. just like, I, I couldn't like let go and like give it away. And then like the day I handed it over, I called everybody I knew and I said, I felt like I bought a shiny new car. I was so <laughs> excited to not have to deal with that crap anymore. And I just could like never, ever go back. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It just lifts this giant weight off your shoulders. Cause I was like you, my first 16, I self-managed. And then I was like, no, but I am glad that I did it. Cause I learned a sure. lot. Yeah. But not, I've never managed an Airbnb, nor do I want to. Where are your Airbnbs? All of them are in Fayetteville currently. And I actually, I should send it to you. I just did a presentation recently on the Burr and B. So the Burr into an Airbnb. And I don't know if you're interested, but I could send you my slides. 
So you're, you're burring Airbnbs. Yeah, that's, that's what we're doing. The burr and bee. So instead of doing a burr with a long-term fixed tenant, it's a burr into an, a short term, which does present a couple of things you have to navigate around, but amazing. So here's my concern with something of that nature. Like mm-hmm. a lot of my burr properties are not in the best neighborhoods. They're not in bad neighborhoods, but they're not yeah. in like really fancy. They're not in like places where somebody would want to Airbnb. And, Doesn't matter. <laughs> and my concern is that like when you get into those nicer areas and more attractive areas, like people just don't let it like decline as much. Like if you're in an area that everybody wants to be in, you don't drive by a bunch of houses that are boarded up. You know what I mean? Whereas yeah, that's always kind of been, cause I love the idea. You know, I was just talking to Avery Carl the other day about, finding me an Airbnb and we were talking about how you could buy a vacation home with 10% financing down. And I love that idea, but I love the idea more of burying it. But again, then I'm going to have to find something in a really desirable area that has been like run down. And I just, how do you do that? So the reason why I was like, doesn't matter. I guess I was assuming boarded up windows in the neighborhood probably is a little worse than I would want to burn be in. But what, what the reason why I said it doesn't matter is because our best performing properties are not in our glorious areas, actually. They're in places where I was like, when we were doing it, I was like, oof, like not so sure this is going to turn <laughs> out. And then, and then they crush. So they're, I mean, like solid, just C neighborhoods and they do really well. What so is the, can you give us like some number breakdowns, like a, like a case study sure. example of one of these? Of course, actually. Let me see if I have one written out. I hope I do. Yeah, sure. Actually, I do. So this is a courthouse foreclosure, and we purchased it for 52000 I don't know what your price margins are, but bought it for $52,129 and put 14000 in repairs into it. Furnishing the Airbnb is about eight grand. So this is a three to, I think, 1,400 square feet. I'm trying to look. I was, I'm going to write that down. I was uh, wondering the other day how much it would cost to furnish it. That is a whole other thing in itself. And I actually would love to talk to you about that, but let me finish through this real quick. So all in at closing, we were 76,000, whatever. Mm-hmm. And the, it appraised at 110. So 75% of 110 was 82. And basically got to pull out everything that we put into it. And now it's an Airbnb and this three, two in this neighborhood would probably rent for like nine fifty to max 1100. And that's like long-term fixed. Sure. And so after property management, this brings in about 2000 bucks and then all of the like, mortgage payment, utilities, all that stuff, you could say we're cash flowing about a thousand from this property. Wow. So it, it brings in two thousand a month. After property management. After property management. That's after their twenty percent, which is why I don't care. Take your twenty percent. Yeah, for sure. Well that's yeah. amazing. So why is it making so much money? I mean, is there are you in a tourist area? Like what's I'm this isn't Fort Bragg. So this is, people ask this a lot. And actually people, a lot of my clients were like, why would you ever do an Airbnb in Fort Bragg? Who goes to visit Fort Bragg? So, which Fayetteville, North Carolina. But there's a lot of reasons. And there's a lot of reasons that people don't normally think 
of, so Fort Bragg is the largest military installation in the United States, actually, it's the number one biggest. So every deployment where soldiers are leaving, every redeployment where soldiers are coming back, every retirement, graduation, promotion, you know, all of these things, people are, families are coming in to Fort Bragg to see their soldier, which is great. There's also two VA hospitals, veterans hospitals, very big. So there's like rotating nurses who come in and out. And then also it is the exact midway point between New York and Florida for people who are just coming down 95, they can pop off, go to Fayetteville and then. So those are what we've identified to be the primary factors of why our Airbnbs crush so much. Nice. Yeah, I definitely need you to find me one there. I was looking in the panhandle of Florida and uh, the Smoky Mountains. Well, those are great too. They're super competitive and they're super expensive. So I was looking at Gatlinburg, Tennessee and Avery, who has a bunch there, she goes, look, when something comes on the market, there's like 50 offers in like the first day. And I was gross. like, yeah, I don't want to get into that. <laughs> yeah, so that's gross. It sounds like you have a, a, a well-kept secret. So maybe find me one before we air this episode. My problem is I keep talking about it. And <laughs> yeah, I will. But what I was going to say about the furnishing, because you brought that up as wondering how much that would cost. Okay. The reason why ours is $8,000, which is kind of expensive, mm-hmm. is because, one, we don't like to put money up front if we don't have to. So Ashley's Furniture or Furniture Stores will do like a year of interest-free financing. So yeah, we'll we'll use that. But with that, you end up paying furniture store prices as opposed to you know, less prices. But the other reason why we do that is because then the Airbnb can pay for it the first year. We just expect not to take, you know, money from it for a year or whatever. That's one reason. And so if you wanted to do like Facebook marketplace or piece by piece it together, you can get way cheaper. The other reason is I'm not furnishing it myself. Like, like I said before, I literally outsource everything. So the way that we came up with our Airbnb designer, because that's not really a job that you can <laughs> find, is we're in real estate. And I actually contacted my favorite stager for my listings and was like, hey, like you're trying to stage something a little bigger. And literally she has a full business now where she stages people's Airbnbs. So we have like checklists of essentials that you need to furnish the property, like the design style. And so she's the one who orders everything, sets up everything as there for deliveries. Literally, it's perfect because we'll buy the property, hand the keys over to the contractor, he'll rehab the property, hand the keys over to my Airbnb chick, she'll furnish the property. And from there, it goes straight to plushy. And I do monitor throughout the process, but I'm not, you know, if that makes sense. That's awesome. I'm inspired. Let's go over to your your agency. How is your real estate agency going? How did you, I guess you you just needed a job is how you started selling (laughs) real estate. I Um, needed money. (laughs) How would you say that that has helped your investing? It definitely has because I know how to negotiate well for the market. I know exactly what the market trends are. No one can bullshit me. And it was something that frustrated me was the very first, that $75,000 duplex was listed for 90,000. And I went to my agent and was like, yo, I want to put it in at 75. And he was like, no, like, why would, you're not going to get that. And I'm like, put it in at 75. And he put it in and I got it. And I was like, I told you, (laughs) not that I knew, I didn't know anything. So, but my point is like, I like to be able to push whatever limits I want, like know exactly what the market trends are, know these other agents. And so I liked it personally with the investment side. 
also you don't have to wait on anyone. I like that too. Cause a lot of times you're like, yo, I want to put in an offer. Oh, my agent's busy for the next four hours. But overall, I actually, a lot of people ask, like, should I get my license? And I'm like, depends on your goals, but usually no, as long as you can find an agent, no outsource leverage, find that right person. And that person will do it better than you could anyway, if you do have the right person in that seat. Absolutely. So I'm talking a lot. (laughs) What advice do you have for anybody out there looking to get started? Get started now and own every bit of your education. Like you can't expect anyone to teach you. No one cares about you except for (laughs) you. So put in the work. You can't replace it. Like put in the hours, do the work. Absolutely. What would you have done differently if you knew everything you knew now and could start over again? There are certain pieces that I would have outsourced sooner. I'm thinking it's hard because I, all of my experiences are commingled, my agency experiences and my investor, but like one in particular that I should have gotten professional help on sooner was bookkeeping and like finances, understanding (laughs) the taxes and all that stuff. And it's, Yeah, I guess my biggest piece of advice is like, if you don't know, or if you don't like it, find someone who knows and likes it and have them do it Yeah. now (laughs) or soon. (laughs) I can definitely agree with that. I've I've hit every one of those pain points that that you brought up. I'm still going through some of them. I have the property management and I have a CPA that, that handles the big stuff, but I still fumble around the bookkeeping to get like him the proper information. I hand him like a big pile of binders and, and papers and he just kind of looks at me like, what do you, what do you want to do with this? <laughs> I don't know. Dig through it, make some educated guesses, piece it all together. He's like, I charge a lot by the hour. <laughs> Dude, that's hilarious. Cause no shit. That's what I do to my bookkeeper. I'm like, here's my giant mess. Can you just fix it? And now she like, literally has access to everything and she just wizards around and I'm like, why have I not had you for my entire life? (laughs) So I want to hop to our radio round, help our listeners get to know you a little bit better. First question we have is what is your favorite book? My favorite book for today is how to win friends and influence people. Excellent. Dale Carnegie. What is that you like so much about it? Well, because everything Life comes from interactions with people and the way to be successful is through building relationships. And you can't do that unless you make people like you and you like them and find common ground. And from there you can build something. I think people are incredibly underappreciated and the impact that they could have is just astronomical. I remember when I read that book for the first time, it was in, 2014 and I was I was in retail sales at the cell phone company I work at and I remember sitting at the table across the table from a customer that I was trying to sell something and like practicing what I was reading in the book and I remember like there's like there was two like dialogues (laughs) going on like one between me and the customer and then one like in my head going hey Sterling remember what you read like chapter 14 like like use their name and it's like, oh, hey, look, you should try asking them something about themselves. And like, I shit you not, like my sales like skyrocketed, like, like yeah. as a direct yes. result of just like following the steps. As I was reading the book, like I would read like a chapter and then like go in the next day and like, practice it. sort of test it, like what I learned <laughs> yeah. in that chapter. 
that book and then another one that was really impactful that you don't hear a lot about that doesn't get a lot of credit it's a sales book and everything we do is sales, whether we have a sales title or not, but it was Zig Ziglar's secrets of closing the sale. I was reading both of those books. I'm kind of like ADD and I'll get, I'll start to read a book and after like 30 minutes, I'm tired of it. So I have to read like four books at one time. (laughs) So I can sit still and read for, for two hours as long as it's spread out over four different books. It takes me a month, but I eventually get through all four of them, you know, but I was reading those at the same time and like pulling all the little nuggets out of both of them. And dude, I was just, I was smooth sailing. So I absolutely love that. And it's one that like, it's one of those, like everything we need to know in lot to be successful in life. We like learn in kindergarten, but we just have to remind ourselves. So like that book, and the other one is Think and Grow Rich. I read those books like every other year. Like I read them again, yeah. even though, right. or I'll listen to them on Audible if I, don't, if I can't sit still for that long. But I, <laughs> I just, in the last few months, I've listened to them both on Audible again as like a refresher. So awesome choice. Awesome choice. And thank you for not saying Rich Dad, Poor Dad, like every other guest we've ever had. Yeah. No. <laughs> the second one is what's your favorite quote? Okay, because I'm sticking with the win theme for all three. Find a way to win is my favorite quote because one of my biggest frustrations or one of the things that I love best in people is when given a no, they find a way to make it a yes or when people say it can't be done, they find a way to make it happen. So that's it. Find a way to win. Awesome. Love it. What is your favorite thing to do outside of work? I wrote win because it was fun, but (laughs) I like to win. I'm very competitive, but also I guess realistically, it's like anything that's like physical or adrenaline rushing. So I like like skiing, airplanes, jump. Yeah, sure, all that stuff, bungee jump, all that. Yeah, not me. (laughs) So actually, I signed up to jump out of an airplane one time, and it got canceled because of the weather. And I was like, well, let me, I told the person I was going with, like, well, let me know whenever you reschedule it. And they never like rescheduled it, but I never like pushed them. Yeah. 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 (laughs) And now like, that was like five years ago. Now I'm like, like, old and and like, (laughs) yeah. yeah. But if I was ever called out, if anybody ever was like, Hey, are you going to go with me right now? Are you too much of a sissy? I would go, but I would, Mm -hmm. I'd be like twitching a little. I'm writing that down too. Next time I go, yeah, <laughs> no, yeah, yeah. come with me. <laughs> so how can our listeners get in touch with you or find out more about you? Uh, Facebook and Instagram, it's Real Estate with Shelby Osborne. And then com is where my team is. So any of those, those are best. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining <laughs> us today. I really enjoyed it. Me too. Thanks for having me. Thanks for tuning in to the Rent Roll Radio Show brought to you by Crestworth Capital. We hope you enjoyed the show. And if you did, please hit the subscribe button and leave us a rating and review. You can also visit us at CrestworthCapital.com or RentRollRadio.com or follow us on Facebook at Rent Roll Radio or at Crestworth Capital. If you would like to reach us, feel free to shoot us an email at info at rentrollradio.com or sterling at crestworthcapital.com. We hope you come back next week to join us on some more of our journey. Until then, happy investing.